It's past midnight in Yemen's capital, Sana'a. And online, Yemeni residents are reporting the sounds of being under attack. The Saudi coalition fighting in Yemen has launched airstrikes in the capital, Sana'a. The targets included Houthi military sites, as well as a national TV and radio tower. After seven years of war between the country's Houthi rebels on one side and a Saudi-led coalition on the other, the sound of airstrikes is well known in Yemen. But this year, that war is intensifying and reaching new fronts. The coalition has upped the airstrikes since the Houthis claimed a drone and missile attack on Abu Dhabi. And as Houthi rebels and the Saudi-led coalition trade fire, Yemeni civilians are trapped in the middle. Civilian men and women are caught in fear, frustration and uncertainty. I'm Malika Bilal and this is The Take. To get a sense of what the escalation means for Yemenis, we reached out to a couple of people in the country who are dealing with the direct effects of the violence. I am Osama Al-Faqeed, the Advocacy Director at Mu'tana for Human Rights, an independent Yemeni human rights organization, and I'm based in Sana'a, Yemen. Throughout the war, Mu'tana has been tracking human rights violations within Yemen. And Osama says conditions within the country are getting worse. The recent escalation of military operations is very noticeable. In January alone, Muwatana documented multiple airstrikes from the Saudi-led coalition, as well as ground attacks from the country's Houthi rebels. In these attacks, more than 100 civilians were killed and more than 200 others were injured, including women and children. One of the most horrific attacks happened in January was attacking a detention facility by uh, a coalition airstrike in Sada with three bombs. The catastrophe didn't end there, but Houthis fired live munitions at the detainees who had tried to flee when the first bomb hit the facility. The civilian casualties caused by the airstrike and the use of excessive force by Houthis resulted in death of dozens and injury of more than 100 detainees. And that airstrike wasn't the only one that made headlines. It coincided with another attack that left the country without internet for four days. To learn more about that, we talked to Mohib Ghalab. He's the vice president of the Internet Society's Yemen chapter. Normally, he works on increasing internet coverage across Yemen. But the war means he has to shift his priorities. At 2 a.m. on 21st January, there was an airstrike on Hodeida. If you know Hodeida, it's a city in Yemen. The city contains the main gateway of internet. In the port city of Hodeida, another aerial offensive on a key telecommunications center plunged the Arab world's poorest country into a nationwide internet blackout. We can't access to the news uh, news website. We can't access to our social media to see, to, to know what, had, what happened. We feel our life is getting stopped. So regardless of where you live, if you rely on the internet, losing access for four days is stressful. But it's even harder in Yemen, where people need to do research to meet their basic needs. I will give you uh, an example. We can't get Gaza in an easy way. We need to get in uh, long lines to get gas. 
Hundreds of Yemenis are queuing up outside petrol bunks, waiting for their turn to fill their tanks. So, uh, Minister of Gas in Yemen, every day, announced a table contains the name of stations to tell people here in Yemen where they should go to get gas. This, this spread this by using WhatsApp groups and Facebook page. But Muhib says the outage meant no updates on which gas stations were stocked. It's just one of the many examples of how the direct violence of the war makes life harder for Yemenis in all these secondary ways. Muhib says he doesn't want to see something as simple and necessary as the internet tied into the political situation. We want uh, the outside to know telecommunications and internet centers. It's the only way to connect with, with uh, others. So let's make, uh, let's make them out of the political issues. We need our rights, especially on the internet. We have faced many difficulties in, uh, in real lives, but we still have, let's say, the last gateway. Make it free, make it available for all. Internet is a, a normal right for all. When the internet was restored a few days later, Muhib said people quickly turned to social media to post their own statuses and get in touch with the rest of the world. I am the first one who will say, I'm back to life. Anyone hear me? <laughs> and people outside of the country were eager to listen. People like Yemen analyst Sama al-Hamdani. I asked her what it's been like trying to communicate with the people she knows in Yemen. January has been hectic, to say the least. I think it's a really busy month for everyone around the world. But for people who have family in Yemen, it was a bit more stressful than usual. We knew the situation in Yemen has been bad. We know about the ground fighting. We know about the airstrikes. We know about the human rights violations. But just not being able to send that message that says, hey, are you guys okay? That just kind of amplified everything to another level. You know, it's not that we can provide any security to people on the ground in Yemen, but just the inability to check in just multiplied that anxiety. Yeah, of course. So what are you hearing from people? You know, everybody that I checked in with, they were like, oh, we were fine. I just think a lot of people who are used to kind of escaping to the internet and having touch with the rest of the world really suffered through it. What I hear from a lot of people my age is that they're ready to leave Yemen. You know, so people have really uh, stuck it through for seven years are now saying any opportunity I get, I just want to get out. I, I don't think this is bearable anymore. I can't handle it. And, and, you know, this is to say that the people, when we ask them, how are you doing? They all say, we're great. We're used to this. We're fine. And I think it's, it's part of the resilience that they must have in order to survive the circumstances that they live in. But I have to say that 2022, just right off the bat, looks a lot more tense. It's much more difficult to see how peace will come out of what just transpired in the past few months. And that's telling given how complicated the past seven years of Yemen's war have been already. If you need a refresher, here's Samad's explanation of the war's origin back in 2014. So the Houthis were a, a small group that had conducted a coup against President Abdurrahman Mansur Hadi, and President Hadi had escaped to Saudi Arabia and had asked for help in restoring his legitimacy and power into Yemen. After the Houthis took over the capital of Sana'a, the Saudi-led coalition intervened. They launched airstrikes as part of something called Operation Decisive Storm in 2015. 
Its aim, to drive out Shia rebels known as the Houthis, who had seized control of the capital Sana'a six months earlier. Of course, seven years in, President Hadi is still living in Saudi Arabia and Riyadh. And it was exactly three months into the conflict that after waging that airstrikes, it would have been really great to bring everyone back to the negotiating table because the Houthis did not have the territorial gains that they have today. And it would have been a lot easier on them to put pressure on the Houthis then. It's becoming clearer and clearer today that the Houthis are not willing to give any of the territorial gains that they have. And even though they are not saying this explicitly, it's very clear that they don't want to share power with anyone else. The UN has said that January could be the most deadly month for civilians since this conflict began. The war is seven years in. So what's bringing about this escalation now? So really the escalation for me as a political analyst has been occurring since 2020. That was just after the Houthis claimed credit for an attack on an oil facility in Saudi Arabia. Twin attack at night with drones on two major Saudi oil facilities, one of them the largest in the world. That was kind of a game changer where we saw that the Houthis developed new capacity to launch airstrikes and it was kind of shocking for everyone else. I see them doing it all over again now in January 2022. Houthi rebels claim responsibility for a rare attack carried out in the United Arab Emirates. In January alone, they managed to target Abu Dhabi twice. And the second time, the target was actually a U.S.-British airbase, a Dafra airbase. And so it, it's a huge move from the Houthi militia. They've really escalated the conflict. And it's because of the ground fighting that was taking place in Yemen. And so as the battles intensify on the ground... It seems that the Houthi militia decided to take the conflict outside of Yemeni soil in order to decrease the pressure that they were facing. The realities on the ground are actually pointing to an escalation. Everybody's resorting to conflict. And I think it all signals what Yemen could potentially look like in the future. The idea of having one Yemen and a power sharing agreement is looking less and less likely. So as you mentioned, Yemenis are contending with the threat of airstrikes and fighting. But the increase in violence also means more indirect problems as well. The conditions within Yemen are often referred to as the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. So how does the escalation in the conflict affect people's day-to-day lives? I want to emphasize that in all of this, it's always the civilians who pay the price, you know? Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's the Yemeni civilian. Depending on their positioning on the ground in Yemen, they're suffering different dynamics. But under Houthi-controlled territory, for example, it was really, really hard to find fuel. And so people stopped driving their cars and they started taking public transportation. And every time that the Houthis would strike Abu Dhabi or even Saudi Arabia, there would always be an intense airstrike campaign that would come back under Houthi-controlled territory and specifically in the city of Sana'a, where people would have to move out of their homes But it was really hard to even escape the city because there's no oil. So people can't even flee in the way that you would traditionally imagine in other places. Sema says all the impacts on civilians have become politicized too. For example, when the internet went out, we heard that it was an airstrike that took down the internet. And of course, there were sides who refused that story, who said that the Houthis have taken down the internet themselves. Today, we hear that it is probably an airstrike that took it down. 
And then you hear that the internet could have been restored sooner. So whatever it is that happens, you see all this finger pointing occurring, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to point the blame at the other side, but it's really the Yemeni civilians who lost touch with their families. And then there are also the broader humanitarian issues, like... The famine that we've talked about for years. The scarcity of water, inability to have access to, to proper health care. The healthcare systems completely collapsed. And now we're talking about a Yemen where COVID is everywhere and very few people are vaccinated. So it, it really is, and I, and I hate to say this about Yemen because it's, it's, it's you know, the place that I love most, but Yemen today, as I imagine it, is hell on earth. And yet a year ago, it looked like things could be different. So the Biden administration announced one year ago this week that he was committed to ending the war in Yemen, or at least U.S. support to the Saudi coalition. This war has to end. And to underscore our commitment, we're ending all American support for offensive operations in the war in Yemen, including relevant arms sales. He removed the Houthis from the U.S. terror list. There was talk of a ceasefire. And now the U.S. has resumed its weapon sales to Saudi, and the U.S. president is debating whether to add the Houthis back onto that same list all over again. A ceasefire proposal never came to fruition. So how did this war become so intractable? I think the U.S. is starting to lose its patience with the Houthis. I think they made a lot of gestures to include them at a negotiating table. I would say as early as January 2021, the situation of the conflict in Yemen changed, meaning that prior to that, the decision to end the conflict was in the hands of the Saudi-led coalition. After 2021, you really needed the Houthis to, to want peace in order for peace to emerge. And so that's where things really changed. I want to point out that the last few attacks from the Houthis to on the United Arab Emirates are actually not just attacks on the United Arab Emirates. They're also involving U.S. troops. As Samat mentioned, the attacks were on an airbase that hosts U.S. and British soldiers. When the Houthis act like this, I really want to point out that the retaliation that comes from the Saudi-led coalition is quite aggressive. For example, take the coalition response after the first Houthi attack on the UAE on January 17th. It was only a day or so before we heard about 80 people being killed from an airstrike at a prison that the ICRC just visited. Now, the prison facility is located in Sada. It was used as a holding center for migrants and workers in Sada say that the hospitals are simply overwhelmed with the number of people who've been injured after the attack. And so you can see how this war is just now, it's lost its purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. The military goals have become undefined and now it's just trying to hurt each other over and over again. So for example, after every single time the Houthis would launch a missile on Abu Dhabi, we would see F-16 fighter jets coming into the capital, Sana'a, where there's a lot of civilians. The coalition has upped the airstrike since the Houthis claimed a drone and missile attack on Abu Dhabi. And we've heard a lot of people being targeted at their homes. And so in the middle of the night, there were reports of families just being bombed and killed on the spot. I think the message that we're all getting is that if the Houthis continue to push their attacks on Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, then the civilians in Yemen might end up paying a very, very heavy toll. 
What do you think real accountability for the seven years of this war might look like? It's impossible to find a a single actor who's participating in this conflict who has not participated in crimes. Mm -hmm. There are many missing individuals. There are many prisoners. There are many crimes being committed. Not one side is only accountable for it. There is no criteria or list that documents the names and identities of those people who were killed and how they were killed. You know, if you don't have that, where do you begin? But I know of a lot of human rights organizations in Yemen that are doing their best to document these crimes, because at the time being, there's nothing that can be done. And the longer the war rages on, the more dire the humanitarian crisis gets. People are getting poorer. And more importantly, there are no prospects for life. So for the average civilian, in order to survive in a dynamic that includes seven years of war, it means that you have to belong to one side or the other that's fighting in the conflict. And so that makes it super dire for civilians. So you said there are no prospects for life. And just the gravity of that is is so heavy. I can hear it in your voice, but what does that mean for you personally, as someone with ties to Yemen, someone who knows this region and, and, and studies this country? What what does that feel like? It it feels dark. You know, at the very start of the war, I realized that my lifelong dream was to go get a university degree and take it back to Yemen and contribute back to society as I had privilege to be well-educated. However, since the war started, that idea became extremely unrealistic. The reality has been ground fighting for years now. And you have a whole new generation that's only known conflict and war. In some parts of the country, it's seven years of airstrikes. In other parts of the country, it's seven years of chaos and lack of security. And I can't imagine the mental toll that it takes on these people, you know? Mm -hmm. And I only suffer from it secondhand. It's no way comparable to what these people see and live day in and day out. And I can only imagine that if if the fighting stops, it doesn't mean peace. It just means that people are going to finally have a minute to process what they've just endured, you know? I think that that loss of dignity there, where you walk around knowing that I can die at any moment and no one will be held accountable, my name will never be remembered, maybe that's that's a risk, and maybe they won't find my body. And I think that's that's terrifying, and that's as ugly as life can get. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Nagin Oliai with Priyanka Tilvey, Ruby Zaman, Amy Walters, Nate Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Finton is our story editor. Alex Rodan is our sound designer. Aya El-Milek is our engagement producer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs> 